We are in James. I want to I want to start with something a little different today. Just kind of show you something. Uh, we'll go nine through eleven, or get into verse twelve. Uh, in two thousand seven, I wrote a book called "Hope for America's Last Generation," and uh, just want to you know just update this right here. Here's my slides right here. See if I can do this. Here's my pictures. That's a chart from that book showing the four cycles of uh, four generations that we are facing uh, that match up with the four cycles of, of Proverbs 30 when it talks about, you know, the a generation that curses their parents, thinks they're righteous in their own eyes, the haughty eyes, and then a fourth generation that devours the poor and needy from the earth. Uh, and that's the generation that James is in. He's in the fourth generation because we, we know that. Uh, if these generations are 40 years long, uh, Jesus died in 430 A.D. You know, if you want to say 33 A.D., you can say that. Uh, and then by 70 A.D., 40 years later, Jerusalem was burnt. So that 40-year period was the fourth generation right there. And he, he prophesied that. He says, you know, on the way to the cross, to the women mourning, he says, don't cry for me, cry for yourselves and your children. Uh, he talked about not one stone being left upon another, so he prophesied that. Now, I'm, I'm by no means uh, trying to be a prophet. I'm just using, uh, I, will, I won't claim to be a prophet, but I will claim to be a Bible teacher. Now, you can decide if I'm a good or bad or incorrect or incorrect Bible. That's your choice. Uh, but I'm just looking at the things that are in the Scriptures and then overlaying it with our culture with the idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're still in the cos- same cosmos they are in in, in Abraham's day and Jesus' day, the New Testament throughout church history. We're still in that same cosmos, same devil, same sin nature, same plan of God working salvation. So we should see some patterns. Uh, and so those four cycles of judgment began in 1880 when we, you know, the seminaries and churches turned away from the Word of God and went liberal. That produced a generation, second generation, that were pure in their own eyes, but yet not cleansed of their evil. And each of these were met with exactly what you see in Leviticus, the five cycles of judgment. Each generation is met with a warning. And God says, you know, he's speaking to Israel here. I'm just overlaying that pattern onto our nation. And you can see it throughout history and other nations also. And he would warn them with some kind of a warning. He says, if, you know, I'll strike you with a plague. And if you do not repent, uh, you know, I'll strike you, you know, seven times more. And each generation proceeds. So there's one, two, three, four, five cycles of judgment. And the fifth cycle after the fourth generation was destruction or the overthrow of the land or the loss of your culture. Just like in 70 A.D., Jerusalem lost their culture. Now, some Jews still lived in the land. Uh, some Jews still tried to participate, but they had over, been overrun and lost their, their culture, and the Romans took over, renamed the land uh, Palestine after the Philistines, the Romans did. But nonetheless, I, I put this up here, pointing, you know, 1880 to 1920, 1921 to 1960, the second generation, the third generation from 1961 to 2000. The beginning of the fourth generation begins in, in, in Leviticus. God says, I'll strike the land with the sword. And so our generation, fourth generation, began in 2001, and indeed, you know, 9-11, 2001, right on target. That was the warning. It's like, okay, now you're land, and now you've got 40 years to recover. It matches up with the Romans. Uh, And again, I was teaching, I remember we got an audio tape of this, a cassette tape of this from Oklahoma City at the convention center in 1992, and I was presenting this there. So uh, now we're in that last 40 years. Now, uh, what takes place, this next thing right here, just to kind of let you see, uh, and again, you don't have to accept this, of course. Here is now where we're at. Now, some things, uh, I, I, you know, I'm always teaching and changing. Here you got some attacks. The United States threatened by terrorist states, the rod of the Lord's anger, which has, anything that comes through is going to be the Lord warning or judging. You got USS Cole 2000, from the 2007 book, 2001, you know, attack on homeland. The next attack, question mark. You know, when are the, this is 2007, so when are the next attacks going to come? 2007, 2023. Now, I, I, a question mark, when and what kind of attacks? Now, uh, we haven't had, you know, Russia, you know, running air bo- raids, and, you, know, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, the Cold War, we're all hiding under our desks at school. Um, but we have seen uh, the border, which, you know, you decide politically, you know, whatever you want to do. But slice and dice that however you want to come down on the, on the deal. Uh, that is an invasion. Your land is being invaded. Uh, you've got the, the balloon, for example. Uh, I mean, whatever that was, 
uh, but that that's pretty much. I mean, you've lost control of your airspace. I mean, you can you can slice and dice that however you want to say. Well, this is a humanitarian effort. This was just diplomatic. Okay, okay, perfect. You're right here. You are losing. You can't protect your border. You can't even protect your airspace. Your government is doing exactly what the fourth generation is supposed to do. Take the middle class and drive them into poverty. Take their freedoms. Take their property. Take their incomes. Take their businesses and make them their own and drive them into po- The poor and needy will be devoured. And you've you gone through this in the Old Testament. The poor and needy are not the homeless. The poor and needy are the ones that had their property taken from them. They've lost their inheritance. They've lost their homes. It talks about the widow who lost her home. A homeless woman who's wandering around is poor and needy and destitute, but she didn't just lose her home in the fourth generation. Now, she may have. That may be how she got there. But we're talking about people that had property. A classic example is Jezebel and Ahab taking Naboth's vineyard. He has a vineyard, so they accuse him of lying, kill him, take his vineyard. That is the teeth that devour the fourth generation. And that is what's taking place. And then you've got the whole Ukraine thing, whatever's taking place in Ukraine. I mean, we're more interested in, you know, like someone says, if that balloon, the reason we finally shot it down was getting too close to Ukraine. It's like, okay. It's like, we're protecting Ukraine. We've got the weapons, the finances. And again, I am not a politician. I'm just saying, what I'm saying is that we are in, the, if you say, all oh, these are all good things, well then, okay, I stand corrected. But you, you are losing, and you are in a fourth generation where we, we, we again, if we're talking 2001 to 2040, which is not a prophecy, I am not prophesying, I'm putting this in this pattern uh, the, the, the simulation that you have within Scripture, and this is where we come out, and you are in 2023. You are 17 years away from d- being dissolved as, as, as a culture. You're going to be either overrun, you're going to be dissolved, you're going to be overcome with another culture. You may be still be living. There'll be st- it's not like this whole place is going to be, could be, it could just be a nuclear wasteland. I don't think so. It's too valuable. Someone's going to just come in, and you're going to be sold off like sheep, just like the false shepherds of Zechariah, and you're going to be fleeced. I mean, all the way down to your hooves. Anything they can get from you is going to be taken by, by 2040, and it's going to be a completely different culture here. Uh, again, maybe not. I wrote this in 2007, and, you know, uh, hmm. I don't know. It, it looks like it's heading that direction. I'm just saying. Uh, and that kind of leads us to where we are at today. I'll point this out, too. Some things that I have changed, obviously, on this little chart. Now, I, I, this is not eschatology. It can lead into eschatology. This is about our nation. And for the preservation of our nation, we're going to need, as we said in, in 2007 throughout all things, you need to in, in, embrace the seven institutions. One is going to be individual responsibility. It's going to be marriage. It's going to be family. It's going to be uh, nationalism. And then it's going to be government. And you're going to have to have those things established. Uh, and then, of course, the sixth and seventh in- divine institutions is Israel. God chose Israel. They've been put on hold for a while, but they were to be God's light to the Gentile nations. All nations were blessed through Israel. He gave the other nations to the, the, the gods, to the, 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 the sons of Israel or the sons of God, and they refer to the angelic community like you see in Daniel, the, son, the, 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 the ruler or the prince of Greece, the prince of Persia. That's another whole story. But he chose Israel as his portion to bring light to all those people in those dark nations. And that was then replaced, I don't want to say replaced, but now we are in the church age, and the church is a divine institution. Now, every building that's got church written on it is not part of the church. You can have all kinds of community centers and churches and whatever you want to call them, and some of them are coming against individual responsibility. They're undermining the family. They're not, they're not national. They don't hold individual responsibility. I mean, they're not churches of jesus christ so be careful of the word church this is the body of christ saved by jesus christ empowered by the spirit of god and they may be in a building on a corner somewhere but not every building on a corner with church on it 
is part of this institution. Uh, that's, that's another whole conversation. But these are the divine institutions that we need to establish, individual responsibility, marriage, family, nationalism, and government. And every one of these things is being attacked or has been attacked Individual responsibility. Marriage, of course, is under attack. I mean, that's part of even a government movement. Family, they're trying to replace the family, trying to make it even possible that you don't even need a mother and a father. They're, they're supporting. Again, we're not in favor of, you know, ugly homes, but we do realize that to have a family, you need a mom and a dad, and a mom and dad have to be individually responsible. If you start there, you're going to support them. Now, you don't even need to believe in Jesus Christ to do these things. That's why pagan nations can thrive if they'll have individual responsibility, support the institution of marriage, family, have nationalism, and nationalism does not mean burning down all the other nations. That means putting up a border and taking care of the people within your nation with a just government, a fair, responsible government that takes care of the people that are within your culture, your government, your nation, your boundaries. But when the nation tears down their own borders and the government is doing it, you have a corrupt government that is interested in something else that's selling off your country and your families and your marriage, and they're going to destroy individual responsibility, destroy marriage, destroy family, then the government, or now it's no longer a government, it's the elite, it's the, the rich that are going to now take the middle class and drive them into poverty and sell off your, uh, your culture for this distant future whatever the next phase of history that they're going to they're going to come out on top of and that's where we're at right now now that's that's one area that is what we'd say uh the current event then there is eschatology that that's where you know the end times this event eventually current events of some nation will play into the eschatological setting we may not be there we may be there Jesus says, always be looking, always be anticipating, be watching. So to look and say, ah, could this be? You're not a conspiracy theorist. You're not a, some kind of crazy person. You're looking because you know someday Jesus is coming back, but before Jesus comes back, there's going to be certain events. If you want to say it's going to be the, the signing of a peace treaty with Israel and the reestablishment of Israel on the Temple Mount, there's going to be a world leader who's going to promise peace and begin taking steps towards world peace, which is going to involve the elimination of a lot of people, which is typical fourth-generation behavior. And it's going to involve the persecution of anyone standing true to Christ because they don't fit the system. Then the Antichrist will reveal himself. The Jews will go off into hiding. All those things will take place. That's eschatology. That's what we're looking for. You're looking for the beginning of those. It's like, and we've said before, that may not be just a one, an event that happens right here. And history just goes like this, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. It's going to be like that, but it could be that Satan has been trying since the beginning of time to bring about this, this conflict, and it keeps cycling through like it's almost here. Like, there it is, like it could have been the Tower of Babel. But God confuses the Tower of Babel, and it cycles back through again. And then it could be, you know, or this could have been the Flood or the Tower of Babel. Now it could be King Nebuchadnezzar, and God ends the Babylonian Empire. It's overthrown by the Persians. And it just keeps cycling. And then pretty soon, ah, it's Nero. Ah, Nero's going to be the Antichrist. And everybody kind of, you know, thought Nero was the Antichrist. Maybe even the Preterists still think he was the Antichrist. Uh, but no, that cycles. I mean, because Jesus didn't come back and set up his kingdom. Uh, and it's cycling through. Maybe it was Hitler. Hitler could have been, but God is holding this thing back, and we just keep getting this attack on the on the beginning of eschatology. And eventually, God is going to what I think possibly begin. Jesus will begin opening the seals, and all of a sudden, it's not stopped. We go into the first seal. The Antichrist comes forth. The second seal, and now we just let this thing go into the eschatological events and we may have been cycling through this god just keeps holding it back now that you don't have to ah, that i don't believe that. you don't have to believe that the bible doesn't draw a diagram like that i'm just saying as you put this into perspective our current event could cycle into eschatology or we could be this right here god says no we cycle out of history and we just move on we do not know we do not know but you're supposed to keep watching i'm not date setting here but if it were to take place I got Ezekiel 8, 38 and 39, and, which I'm going to point out, and then the rapture of the church. Now, I have, and, and I lost people. People stopped listening and supporting the ministry. I moved this from a pre-trib rapture to where we will not go up here right before the seals. We could. We could have a pre-trib rapture. If we do, I will not complain. 
me and my wife, we will not be upset. It's like, you can all point at me and laugh and say, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were wrong. I'll go, yes, I was wrong. We don't get decapitated and we still get to go to heaven. But it's not like, it's not like I'm going to be disappointed if, if it's like, well, I'll just throw Galen's books away. He was wrong. It's like, okay, Whew, I'm glad. Uh, because about halfway through that tribulation, or however it goes, we're going to be under intense persecution. There's going to be a great falling away, and that falling away could possibly be a bunch of Western churches believe in the pre-trib rapture, and then all of a sudden they find the, the peace treaty signed, the Jews are in the temple, they're offering sacrifices, and it's like, and now they're hunting down Christians and slaughtering Christians, who, uh, and it's like, I, I, well, I'm not a Christian. And they start renouncing the, uh, the, the, the many fall away, the great falling away. Again, that's, that's all eschatology teaching. Don't just accept it because I say it. If you want to reject it, that's healthy. Go ahead. But there will be when the sign of the Son of Man appears after the sixth seal, uh, we'll be, meet him in the air, the great multitude. Where did they come from? from the, they came out of the great tribulation. And that is when that takes place. So I have changed. I was in 2007. I was pre-trib. 2012. I, I got into some verses. It, it was the sixth seal, teaching the sixth seal, of where the sky rolls away and and the Lord appears and everyone runs and hides. Hide us from Him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. And they're all hiding in caves. And it's like, well, that's the end of the world. It's like, and, and I've taught that before, and I always got there and stopped. And it's like, okay, and I kind of look around the room. No one bothered us didn't look confused like well i am but i'll just keep going <laughs> and it's like and you get, just kept doing it. in 2012 i stopped and go this doesn't make sense unless you're going to teach the 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 seals and the trump bowls and the trumpets as cyclical where they just repeat 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 it's the same event or you know which is not the case i don't think that would indicate that the lord because the people run and hide kings and and everyone run and hide in caves but at the second coming they've regrouped as an army and are actually fighting each other and fighting jesus christ and so in one case jesus comes back and they're all hiding in caves and hide us from him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the lamb but then in other cases there's they've regrouped their armies and they're fighting so it, it, for me it's like that would answer one question he appears in the sky like the like like ezekiel's throne and they run and hide but from there, he just, and all the, all the stars disappear because his glory is in the atmosphere. Kind of like a Chinese balloon, except brighter. And it's like, and you can't see the stars and the sun, and everyone's hiding, but he's there for several weeks, several months, you know, parts of several years. We don't know. And they regroup. The, the, the trumpets are sounded from that point, and then they come together to try and fight. And eventually he, he will then return at what, you know, land on the earth or come to the earth. And that's another whole conversation right there. But I point this out right here because that would be something that I wrote in 2007 that I have changed. So if I was right in 2007, read the book. If I was wrong in 2007, read the book. Um, I was, but I, I've made a correction. I've made a correction and that kind of falls in with uh, Titanic faith. And there's even some things in Titanic faith as history continues to develop. As I look back, it's like, hmm. You know, you're just watching. Uh, this, I'll just show you this. So right here, and I do not know when this takes place, and some people do, and I know their opinions, but I'm not sure. It's Ezekiel 38, 39, and I think I've got that here on my next little. That's the invasion of Israel, and it's come from the land of Magog, you know, up in this area. It involves a, a Turkey uh, coming down, involves Libya, all these nations coming together. Uh, anyway, that's another whole story. You can see that, and that's a map. And they're going to attack Jerusalem. Now, I've got that potentially taking place before the tribulation begins. That may be the, because all those nations are destroyed. They're just laid waste in the mountains of Israel. And it takes years, months to take the bodies and bury them at a place down by the, uh, the east side of the, the Dead Sea uh, to clear the land of the dead bodies. They never make it to Jerusalem. They, they, they are killed in the mountains with, with uh, you know, like, you know, uh, earthquakes and, and large hailstones and, and all these types of things. So it's like a, a, a super, not, not supernatural, but a natural event that destroys them. In Zechariah and other times, Jesus comes back to deliver Jerusalem because the nations have gathered around Jerusalem and have taken two-thirds of it into exile and, and have taken captive the city. Uh, in this case, so again... This could be Armageddon, you know, the very last battle as Jesus returns, Gog and Magog. It could be that battle. But in this battle, they all die in the mountains and never make it to Jerusalem. 
So where does it, I put it here before the 70th week, and with the establishment of Israel as a, as a nation, that's when the Antichrist comes out and makes a peace treaty with them, then turns on the Western world to eliminate them, and then comes back and breaks the treaty after three and a half years. So I put it there, not absolute, but you, you, it's a puzzle piece. You put in the puzzle, does it fit? Cut off a few of the corners so it fits in there, you know? Uh, or you kind of, eventually, you're going to pop it, just like a puzzle. You've all put puzzle jigsaw, and it's like it doesn't fit, so you put it aside, and eventually you pop, it pops right in. And you do not want, and I do not want to take my Bible eschatology or my Bible teaching and want something to fit so bad I cut off one of those little, you know, there, it fits. It doesn't fit. And now you've just messed up the whole puzzle. So I, that's why I'm careful. I've got opinions. I, I've studied. I do not know everything. In fact, like I said, I changed the location of the timing of the rapture between 2007 and 2012 in my own teaching. So I am willing to adjust. I'm looking for the truth. Uh, some, this was repeated. Gog and Magog battle is repeated at the end of the thousand years. And some people say Ezekiel 38 and 39 is that same battle. It could be, you know, so that's an option. I, I don't think it is, but, you know, I, I maybe don't have enough information. Uh, some people think this is a battle that takes place after the trumpets, before the seals, once Jesus Christ has established his kingdom. Now, again, he's, a, he's, he's returned and established his kingdom, but the remnant of the nations that haven't been destroyed at Armageddon, they regroup and attack Jesus one more time on his way to Jerusalem. It's like, yeah, nice try. Boom, you're all dead. And so it happened, you know, those time periods, you got 30 days and 45 days after the 1,260 days of Daniel, mentioned in Revelation also, then you're going to have 30 and 45 days mentioned in Daniel. And blessed is he who makes it to the 1,335th day. And that may be some events that are taking place there. So, Battle of Gog and Magog, uh, before, the tribula- before the seven-year tribulation, it could be Armageddon. It could be after Jesus established his kingdom and the nations regroup and attack him. Or it could be talking about the la- it's already referred to again after a thousand years. So I put it, I put that right there. That's this battle right there. And uh, so anyway, my whole point for saying that really is uh, that uh, we are in a position right now that this book applies to us, James. Hey, what an exciting introduction to the book of James chapter one, huh? <laughs> well, and maybe I say, well, that was way off track. And it is kind of, but I, I wanted to point that out because we are living at a time where... Uh, if we are in the fourth generation you're going to begin to see things deteriorate that support your nation and your government's going to start selling you out uh becoming the elite and taking the driving the the middle class into poverty uh and it's not it's not necessarily an anti-christian thing it's a worldly thing it's the cosmos it's the way nations go it's the way uh, governments begin to operate uh, it's not saying we're hopeless, uh, but if the nation is under judgment from God, and this is the thing you've got to consider, if, and, and James and his people had to consider this. Jesus, on his way to the cross, basically says there won't be one stone left upon another. He told the women, don't cry for me, cry for yourselves and your children. And so themselves, say they're 30-year-old mothers, add 40 years, they're 70. Their children would be five. Now their children are 45 in 70 AD. I'm not the one who's going to... He says, if people do this while the tree is green, what will happen when it is cut down? And Jesus had told the parable about coming into a tree and asking the owner, uh, give me one more season. He says, uh, he says, cut that tree down. There's not producing fruit. And the worker in the vineyard, which apparently would be Jesus, says to the owner, which apparently would be God the Father, says, give me one more season, which would be one more generation in tree life. It'd be 12 12 months. I will water it. I will fertilize it and see if I can get some fruit and bring it back to life. If not, then I'll cut it down. Which if you overlay that in 30 A.D., this tree has rejected the Messiah. He comes in on Palm Sunday. They reject him. Ultimately, on the Temple Mount, he rejects them. Cut this tree down. He curses the fig tree. We're done. Give me one more generation. Give me one more season. That'd be 40 years. He does everything. You know, the church starts in Jerusalem. Pentecost starts in Jerusalem, trying to water the tree. But by, by 66 AD, by the time the book of, well, James is 45 AD, by the time the book of Hebrews is being written, 
the culture is at war with each other. The elites have taken over, driving everyone into poverty. These Jews have fled from Jerusalem, apparently about 45 AD in the book of James. Uh, the fourth generation would have began in 30 AD. It's going to end in 70 AD. They are 15 years into it. And they're fleeing Jerusalem and they're under oppression. They would be, help me out, 70, 25 years away, 25 years away from the collapse of and that's history, okay? This is questionable. The date of James is, que- I mean, I'm going to say 45 AD. I can justify it. But we know Jesus died in 30 AD. You could say 33 AD. We know Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. That's history. That's Josephus. That's on coins. That's on monuments in, in Rome. This is an absolute fact. Um, and then you just got to prove that the Gospels were written before this time so the, the writers of the Gospels were not just projecting back as they're writing here saying Jesus said this would happen. You've got to just prove Matthew and Mark, Luke were written and, and uh, you know sometime during this period making Jesus' words prophecy of this event and you've got a prophet telling you that this is going to happen. Uh, and you know all the way through his ministry. And so that's where we're at in 45 AD. And so this book in a sense it, it relates very clearly to that generation, but it can relate to us also because I believe possibly, uh, even if my, all my diagrams are wrong, it's still a Christian principle. You are of another kingdom. You are not trying to get the kingdom today. You're living a life for a coming kingdom, and so you don't fit in this cosmos. There's going to be certain things that the world, the cosmos, requires you to do, compromises it's going to require you to make. That as a Christian, you're not going to make them, and so you're going to be cut off. You're going to be outside the inner circle of power. Um, And we're going to have a contrast here, and we've got to be careful with this. We're going to have the poor, the poor righteous, in this story and we're going to have the rich uh oppressors or the uh the wicked rich those that are against god um this is a general character a general classification the righteous poor are those who are right with the lord they're seeking the Lord, and because they're seeking the Lord, they're losing out on certain opportunities. For example, if you're in Jewish culture, and they reject the Messiah, but you say, ah, Jesus is the Messiah, you're outside Jewish culture. You're now oppressed. Uh, or the rich oppressors would be those that are, uh, they're arrogant. Opposite of being humble before the lord they are caught up in themselves and they see all the success they've got all the power they've got they don't need to look any further i'll control my life day by day and they're again looking at these people and oppressing these people now these would be the righteous these would be the wicked now the problem comes is james basically calls these people poor or humble or lowly these people rich referring to money they have possessions power uh property businesses um that does not mean and again we can spend some time developing this i'm going to try to make it very simple that does not mean poor people are always righteous it does not mean that rich people are always anti-god or oppressive it does mean that's the tendency because you see even james would be meeting with the church at the home of john mark his mother's house which is in the priestly quarter of jerusalem the rich house wealthy house the upper room would have been upstairs in a nice house you've got property in jerusalem not just a shack not just a place to live not just an apartment you've got a house with an upper room for the disciples to have the meeting uh the church meets there when peter's in prison uh peter comes to the door and the servant of the house opens the door. So James is running in a group that is meeting in the wealthy part of the city. Barnabas, who is Mark's uncle, owns property somewhere in Jerusalem, maybe in Cyprus, but he sells a field, not all of his fields necessarily, but he sells a field at least, and gives all the money from that field to the church. So he has property and he gives enough. That is not making the presentation that if you have property, you should sell it and give it to the church. In fact, I would advise against it. (laughs) 
there is a quite a bit of corruption with that whole concept you can watch it throughout the middle ages you can watch it on tv today you can go visit a church today and just watch it happen that is not the concept but again that was a the whole point here is those are an example of people with money that were righteous themselves but they were not deaf they were not poor but they were on the fringe where they were not buying into the culture. They were not embracing the elite, getting favors from the priests, but they were also in the priestly quarter looking the other direction towards God, towards Christ. I think the priests were you know, corrupt because they crucified Christ. And so you do have, you know, so when I talk about this, uh, it's, it's a very thin ice right here. You know, so it's like if you own property and you've got a business, you must be an oppressor. Well, again, Jesus does say, and I've got the verse written down, uh, how hard it is for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because you're living here with all of the opportunities, all of the power. You have, if you have a need, you can buy it, pay for it, fix it, uh, manipulate it. And these people up here, they have no hope except in the, in the Lord. Does that make sense? And so with that being said, uh, we're going to start going through some verses. And again, I'm not trying to nullify anything that is being said here. I'm just trying to establish a principle and help some clarification. So anyway, uh, we're going to read uh, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. James is going to be introducing three themes. Uh, Three themes. One is trials. One is wisdom. And the other is poor poverty or the oppressed these are the three themes now you don't have to accept this because we try to iron our way work our way through the book of james and uh some people think it's just a book of proverbs catchy sayings wisdom principles uh and he starts off with the principle about trials a principle about wisdom talks about the poor and money and just keeps writing down just little bumper stickers all the way through and put little refrigerator magnets and books of james on there uh or He's got three themes in this book. He's talking about trials that the poor face, that you need wisdom to understand what's going on so you don't give up and begin to backslide. And he's gonna, he introduced it right away in the book. He doesn't just start off you know, with a long introduction. He starts off right away. You've got trials. You're going to need wisdom. And the poor, do not be discouraged. Just be, be glad. In fact, be... He's going to use the word boast here today. He's going to say boast. But that boasting is because you have wisdom to understand what's going on that gives you the joy. Consider it all joy when you face trials because you've got wisdom that the poor are going to be boasting because you're going to be exalted. It's like, so this is all. And then after verse 11, going to verse 12 up to the end of the chapter, he's going to then repeat all those themes in a broad, you're going to see this repeat again. But this time, he's going to begin to expand and going to continue to cycle through these themes throughout the book. And so he starts off kind of rapid fire here in chapter 1, verses 2 through three eleven. Uh, but the idea is there he's introducing his, his, almost like his titles of his chapters, and then he's going to start building the chapters throughout the book. So that's what's taking place here. Uh, here we go, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, in the NIV, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be uh, mature, teleos, and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And so what that is saying is when you ask for wisdom, Keep your eye on the target. Stay focused because if you're double-minded looking both ways, you're not going to understand it. You're, you're unstable and you're not going to receive the insight that you need to endure these trials. Chapter, nine, or chapter 1, verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Uh, then we'd be in chapter 1, verse 12. 
this begins again cycling through those things blesses a man who perseveres under trial see that's chapter one verse two blesses a man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test he'll receive the crown of life that god has promised to those who love him and then he begins talking about more of the trials and temptation so uh, again we're looking at verses nine through eleven going to introduce chapter one verse twelve page one of your notes you got those three themes point one trials wisdom and poor or oppressed uh james 1 through 12 introduces those three then james 1 12 through 27 will return to all three themes chapter 1 12 through 18 is going to talk about persevering in trials. so you're going to have verses 12 through 27 about how to persevere in trials that's kind of kind of give more details on trials beginning in verse 19 through 26 wisdom in speech you're going to talk about what goes to go back to, to wisdom, but it's going to be wisdom in speech and in obedience to God's word, which will manifest in good works, not merely listening to wisdom. So in other words, the wisdom or the word that you're getting, it shouldn't just be things you hear. It should be things that manifest in the things you say and the things you do. And so that's going to be now wisdom. Ah, I've got wisdom. Yeah, well, wisdom is more than just saying, ah, I've got wisdom. I understand what's going on. We should now see it in your life. You say, well, I understand. Trials are going to help me mature. I've got the insight into that. Okay. And then you go out and you're in the trials and you start saying things you shouldn't, doing things you shouldn't. It's like, okay, okay, okay. You've got the wisdom, but I don't see the works. You need to start doing the work of applying that wisdom in your life. Watch what you say. Watch your actions. Don't be violent. If you really understand the wisdom in trials, you will not be acting like this. I mean, so it's not just that, again, all these things can be applied generally, you know, like if you hear the words, you got to do it. This is talking about specifically in 45 AD in this fourth generation. Um, uh, what point am I on here? Verse talking about wisdom and midst of trial. Okay. 2C. Okay, 2C. Uh, the oppressed in view of the theme of the righteous, poor, and unjust rich. That's chapter 1, verse 27. Okay, point 3, uh, 9 through 11 introduces the third theme, the righteous poor. That's what we're looking at today. These verses, 9 through 11, flow from the verses above that ask for wisdom. Uh, so in other words, you're asking for wisdom. Now, this is, again, part of that application. Uh, it seems clear in this text that instead of James beginning his letter with random thoughts, I pointed that out, that he's actually got some topics. The summary so far of chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, is this right here, point 6. Uh, if you want to read this, is me just summarizing it using commentaries. Do not be double-minded, but focus on the wisdom principle that the lowly and humble before the Lord will be lifted up, probably eschatologically in the end not necessarily in your life today we're not trying to you know bribe god so you give him a dollar he'll give you a hundred dollars it's talking about you just live your life and there is rewards coming you will be lifted up in fact boast in this wisdom now that you understand it boast in this hey i know what i look like i know that i'm being oppressed but hey i'm going to do what's right i'm going to live righteous because good things are coming i'm looking forward to the kingdom i'm boasting in the lord boast about it which is of course uh the source of the joy ultimately Boast in this wisdom and hold, it, hold to it as you endure trials. Resist the sinful urge to retaliate with violence or abusive language. This wisdom gives you internal joy and internal gentleness in your life. That's kind of what James is saying. The theme of the rich opposing, pressing the righteous poor is re, repeated again in chapter 1, verse 27. And chapter 2, verses 1 through 26 just continues that whole thing. So we're going to see a lot of this in chapter 2, if if I'm correct in my presentation. Of uh, this theme of exaltation of the poor and overflow of the wealthy, overthrow of the wealthy has been well established in Scripture. So now we're going to begin. Uh, we just read in James chapter 1, verse 9, the poor should boast about their low position or their poverty, uh, their low social standing, that the fact they're powerless in this world. Because you're, again, if you're poor, not because, again, you're, this is not saying you're poor because uh, of drug abuse. This is not saying you're poor because uh, you have no self-control. Uh, this is not saying you're poor because you, you made bad financial choices. Uh, just write bad choices. Or whatever. You've got all these reasons for being poor. These can all be connected to you know, sinful behavior or you tried to buy into the political party, but you got stabbed in the back and got thrown out. Now I'm poor. I have lost my political connection. Right, because you played the game and lost. Now you're poor. That's not what we're not talking about the poor 
Just if you're poor, welcome to the kingdom of God. You're poor. You lose, you get to go to heaven. Losers don't get to go to heaven. That's not the losers go to heaven. That's not the concept. Humble go to heaven. Those who humble themselves before the Lord. Now, you may be drugs or self, uh, uh, self-centered or bad choices. Maybe that is what caused you to humble yourself before the Lord. Well, welcome to the kingdom. But the rich can do the same thing. You made, you did not do drugs. You had, you considered others and your business decisions wisely. You made good choices and now you are rich. You got to make the same choice. Be careful. You're going to lose everything eventually because everything passes away like the grass. In fact, grass is designed to grow and be used for fuel as food or fuel in the fire. You are nothing but fuel for the fire either you're just producing food or you're producing fire so what are you going to do i'm going to enjoy and i'm not going to look any further well the rich can humble themselves and be in the same position again it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god because he's got to see through that so understand when we talk about poor here uh it's it's the humble they have humbled themselves and in james's case these people are poor they're socially removed from their society because they've embraced Jesus Christ and the Jewish culture has rejected them. They have fled persecution in Jerusalem up north into Syria and now they're in Gentile territory where it's not their culture. Now they're, they're foreigners in a foreign land and there's going to be more. But why are they there? Because of their confidence in the Lord, which of course we've all been there. I'm going to have a step of faith. I'm going to trust God, step out in faith. And then everything goes wrong. It's like, well, why'd God let this happen to me? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, they all took a step. They, you know, it's like they were all baptized in Jerusalem, maybe on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of you, oh, yay, welcome to the church, yay. And then all of a sudden, the next day at work, uh, you can't work here anymore. You know, you go home for you know, Thanksgiving in Jerusalem. Okay, you go home for, you know, Fourth of July. Well, now, what do they go home for? <laughs> they go home for, you know, Passover. And it's like they can't come because you've accepted Christ. You're no longer welcomed here. You've been cut off. It's like, now all of a sudden, uh, you made a great choice, you celebrated, but now you get the repercussions of that choice, you're ostracized, you're outside, you've been canceled, and now they're in a humble position. If that's the case, they've humbled themselves before the Lord, and that's resulted in them being cut off from culture. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, does that make sense? I was going to write two things on the board there, and I got that far. Oh, point eight. Um, the theme of exaltation of the poor and the overthrow of the wealthy has been well established in Scripture. Uh, the poor are to boast in the Lord, but there's also going to be the rich, and the rich are supposed to, and now this is ironic, you, you can see it right there, uh, James chapter 1 verse 9, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, and rich should take pride in his low, boast about the fact that you're wealthy, because you're going to pass away in other words you're going to boast because you're poor and you're going to be exalted you boast because you're going to be destroyed your boasting uh that you is is not really going to last it's 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 almost it's it's irony it, it's it's mocking you're, you're boasting but it's like there's nothing here it's you're hollow you're empty this theme right here uh hannah i've got this written down here we're going to turn to and i mentioned it before but we're going to see this in several places in the Bible. We can clearly pick it out in Hannah, when uh, Samuel was born in, in 2 Samuel, when Mary, now again, hear this. This is going to be kind of, at least for me, it's fun to see connections. Is Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, when she is told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, she sings a song that's recorded by Luke who was carefully investigating all the details of the life of Jesus while Paul was in prison between 57 and, and, uh, or 55 and 57 A.D. in that time. While in Caesarea, Luke apparently was getting all kinds of notes. He would have talked to Mary, and he would have got this apparently directly from Mary. You know, not, you know, not like you know, the Spirit of God could have just told him, but he might have got directly from Mary. And then we're going to hear what Mary says or sings when she hears about the Messiah is going to be her child. But remember, Mary not just raised Jesus, she, she, she raised James. So we're going to see James right here in this book is reiterating what Mary said some 45 years before, 45, almost 50 years before possibly, that Mary sung when she found out she was pregnant with Jesus. So Hannah, Mary, and then Jesus in his ministry 
uh, is going to continue this idea. So here we go right here. The ideal of the poor are going to be exalted and the rich are going to be torn down. Here's, here's Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. And so this can be talking about, you can see that in history of someone coming from poverty to the kingship, if it be David going to the kingship, if it be Joseph, but Joseph went from the top to the bottom to the top and a couple up and downs all the way through there. So it could take place in time, but ultimately it's going to take place in eternity. In Hannah's case, she is a, the second wife of a, an, a, a man, that, and she wasn't the favorite, uh, and she had no children. But she, had, in this moment, was given a child by God, and this child is going to become Samuel, the great prophet. So she's like result, rejoicing that she was the poor, the humble that had been rejected, and she went to God Remember how she went to God and prayed in the tabernacle at uh, Shiloh and uh, the priests thought she was drunk because there was so much drunkenness in and the women were there as priestesses but they were sleeping with the priest and there's alcohol and all. And so he thinks she's, you know, drunk. She says, I'm not drunk, I'm praying. It's like, what? It's like, <laughs> through Eli, Eli couldn't figure out. And, and she, then, then she has a baby and she de- brings it this as a, as after he's like three years old or however old he was, seven years old, whatever the age was. She brings him and dedicates him to the temple and he grows up with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of the priests, which were totally corrupt. It's like, and Samuel grows up in that condition, which is like, well, what I know, that's another whole story about Anyway, uh, that's her talking. Uh, Mary, let's go to Mary, uh, Luke chapter 1. And this is, again, what Mary says. And this is important that we look at this, I think, because this is not just James jumping in here, saying some off-the-wall stuff, but he's, he's, encouraging, he's encouraging the people he's writing to with basic Bible teaching things that are come out of the old we can see the same thing in psalms we can see it in isaiah uh his brother jesus taught it uh his mother mary saying it we're beginning in chapter one or excuse me chapter yeah chapter one verse 48 uh this is after uh mary visits elizabeth and mary sings a song verse 46 of chapter one and mary said now it says said this is a prophecy uh, you know, it, can be, it could be considered a song, but it says, she said, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Right there's the key. Her soul glorifies the Lord. She humbles herself before the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Again, lowly. From now on, all generations will call me blessed because of what the Lord has done for her. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Again, this is, this is a, if you want a promise, here's a promise. You fear the Lord. You humble yourself before the Lord. He is working on your behalf. Maybe not to exalt you in this age. This becomes very, you know, slippery, slimy slope because the only thing many people in our age can understand or our Western culture is getting out of their financial problems and having riches today. It's like, well, that's, you know, God can, is concerned with all your needs and, and, you know, will provide your needs. That's another conversation. But this is talking about in this age, it's all passing away. Even if you've got it, you should not be trusting in it because your hope should be in, you should be boasting, not in your riches. If you've got them, no, hang on to them, be responsible, but your boasting should be in the Lord because if it doesn't happen today or tomorrow in the market, you're eventually going to die and it's all going to be gone. You're going to lose it. I mean, it's a guarantee. I can't predict the stock market and say, well, you know, this fourth generation, you're going to lose everything in the fourth generation. That's me talking. If I'm right or if I'm wrong, but I guarantee you're going to die and you're going to lose it then. So you either lose it today or tomorrow or sometime in the next 20, 30 years, or you're going to die and you're going to lose it. So humble yourself before the Lord and boast in the Lord because that is what's going to sustain you today and into eternity yeah you can reject the lord and have your money there's people today their finances they may be rich crazy rich or they may just have enough 
but they're trusting in their wealth and their, their, their ability to manipulate the circumstances today. Eventually, that will be out of their hands, and you're going to need the Lord. And anyway, you know the story. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. There's your ideal of the poor. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Now, here's the idea. Israel has always been, in a sense, the oppressed. The ones on the outside, the nations are against them. That's kind of like a general theme. The nations are against Israel. Uh, To Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. So that's Mary talking. Uh, Go to uh, Matthew. Let's go to the notes here. I've got them written down here. We can save some time. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, poor in spirit is poor in spirit. That means humble in spirit. So again, it does, you know, poor, humble in spirit. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean poverty. It means in your, in your heart, you are not arrogant and haughty, saying, I've got this under control. You may have everything under control. You may have the wealth, but you realize, I need some help. I am, there's a limit on my ability. I need the Lord. You're going to humble yourself before the Lord. Uh, Luke 6 20 and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and says blessed are you who are poor see right there Matthew poor in spirit Luke you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven just interesting how they come across and then of course the rich fool of chapter of Luke chapter 12 and I without reading it I'll recount the story Uh, he put up had built extra bends filled them up and says uh, eat drink and be merry because you know or something to that effect because you've got you've stored up wealth you've got everything you're going to need and jesus says uh that you fool don't you know that your soul is required of you tonight so you've got every you can't so much supplies you got more than you'll ever need yeah but you're going to die tonight and have nothing you fool now it wasn't that he was he was a, a wise businessman and it wasn't wrong for him to necessarily have those possessions and plan ahead and have a retirement account but the fact that he was trusting in that and thinking, I'm going to be fine, I don't need the Lord, uh, that was the fool. And then the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, the rich man had a poor man Lazarus laying on his doorstep. Every time he came home, the rich man was the poor man Lazarus trying to beg. This is not Lazarus that was raised from the dead. It's another Lazarus. He was begging from the rich guy. He just stepped over him. And they both died. And uh, the angels came and took Lazarus to be with Abraham in Sheol. But the rich man went down to Hades, the place of torment. And he could apparently see back and forth, and he begged to get out of there or go tell his brother. So there was a rich man, had everything. And again, the Jews, for example, had a hard time with these stories because they're talking about Jews. They're talking about Israelites. He wasn't talking about the rich Gentile. He's talking about the poor Israelite and the rich Israelite. The rich Israelite went to the place of torment, the poor israelite went to be with abraham it's like well no 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 they're both israelites so they both go to be with abraham Mm-mm, no this rich israelite was not humble before the lord he was separated and again we can make the same application we start talking about because in this in this book you're going to have it's not like everybody in james's church is poor there's going to be people in that church because that will be coming and going we've got to make some decisions here that they've got some kind of wealth with them uh and they're getting special favors. Uh, and so the same is, issue comes up with us because just because you're in church, does that mean you're going to heaven? Or is there something else going on here? Or just because you've got money, does it mean you're going to hell? And that's not the case. Isaiah 46 through 8, all flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fades. Uh, but the word of the Lord will stand forever, and Peter restates that. And here we go, the text. Here we go, the text, chapter, page 2. You got the, t- in the English standard, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Uh, and then you've got the, the Greek written down there. Uh, Isaiah 29 says, the humble will increase their joy in the Lord. See that? The humble will increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So James, when he says, consider it all joy, he may be picking these things. He's just building Scripture together. It may be he's not necessarily a fresh idea to James. He's more sense preaching a sermon 
right out of the text of Scripture to these people in a new situation. Uh, Luke 14, 11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's, that's what life is about. During your life, are you going to humble yourself before the Lord? Because then the Lord will be able to exalt you. If you will not humble yourself, then the Lord will humble you in the end, ultimately. Uh, the verse, point three, the phrase, the humble or lowly brother is ho adelphos or ha adelphos ha tapenos. The brother is Adelphos. You there? It means a believer in the Lord. So this this is talking about the brother, and so again we're going to run out of time here. I spent too much time setting it up. Obviously, the brother here is a reference not to a Jewish brother or a fellow citizen. This is a reference to a believer. So the believer who is in lowly or humble or poor conditions he's the he's the brother the low the the lowly brother you can buy it he's the brother the low the humble the poor brother and you could choose lowly you could choose humble you know his heart is humble he's low social economic you know he's been driven from his land or he could be financially poor all of those are translations that would work in the context except it the next verse talks very clearly about the rich cash ching ching so that would not be a correlation to lowly or humble that would be so this is right here that's why if you're going to have a contrast the poor brother although you could say humble lowly all those would fit but this is talking in the context we're talking about money we're talking about finance now because he's poor he's also humble he's probably also lowly has no social economic impact no power and the rich man would be you know, arrogant. The rich man would be powerful, so he would not be any of these things. But the context is finances. That's kind of what is being said there. Uh, point B: the lowly or humble. Uh, you got those indicates humble, contrasting the haughty. I just make that point there. Point four: the believer in a lowly position should boast in his exaltation that is coming. Thus, consider it all joy. And it says. As you can see there, again, it's a very simple line. Let the lowly brother, let the brother who is poor, boast in his exaltation. Boast in his exaltation. He's going to be boasting. You see you're in this situation. You've humbled yourself before God. It's resulted in your being driven from society, being on the low end of the scale, actually having less financial support because of your position. You should be boasting because of the exaltation. I'm, you know, it's not going to, and again, this is not going to happen this week. It's not going to happen because you've got faith. It's not going to happen because, you know, you've, you've given a dollar to the church. God is going to give you a hundred dollars. It's like, it, it may not manifest. You may live and die poor, but keep boasting because your exaltation is guaranteed. Now for us, it's like, I want some kind of, you know, I want to sign a contract. If I give this, I'm going to get this investment. I'm going to buy something. It's like, we're we're not even guaranteeing you're going to see a change in your life you may not even see a change in your fortunes in this age you could that's god will provide your needs that's that's another conversation but this right here you're boasting because it is an absolute guarantee that if you have humbled yourself on this side of history before the lord especially if you're in 45 a.d a jew in jerusalem and you accept jesus christ as the messiah and you've taken a stand for Christ, you've been driven from your family, you've been canceled by culture, you've fled the persecution, and now you're in Syria, Gentile country. Why? Because I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. You should be boasting. You should be ecstatic. Consider it joy, because you're going to be exalted. There's a day coming where you're going to be exalted because of what you've done. It's like, yeah, but I, I need money. You then, okay, you don't fully understand this. And James is trying to tell be, you're, you've got good things coming and what he's trying to get them to do now that you under have this wisdom and we'll have to stop because you've got this wisdom now start living that way you don't have to retaliate you don't have to be angry at these people because you're living on another level the people that are bringing trouble to you are going to be brought down let them boast in well i'll read it right here it says and the rich should boast assuming it says boast and the rich in in his humiliation you're boasting because you're going to be exalted these people that are oppressing you 
What are they boasting in? <laughs> well, they're boasting the fact that they're going to be humiliated someday before Jesus Christ. They may be humiliated today. Political winds may change and another political power may humiliate them. They may lose their investments and be humiliated. Maybe so, maybe not. We don't know. But I guarantee when they stand before the Lord, they will be humiliated. So you boast because you're going to be exalted. When you meet the Lord, you're going to be exalted. Stay strong. Consider it joy. These trials are the best thing for you. Grow up. Be mature. Good things are happening. And how about those oppressing you? They should be boasting in their humiliation. They're going to be utterly destroyed when they meet Jesus Christ because they did not humble themselves before him like you did. And that's, again, we've got to clean it up next week and not have a two-hour introduction. But I appreciate you being here. I'll pray, and, and we're done. Father, I do thank you for the chance to hear these things. We thank you for the encouragement of your word. We do ask that we would humble ourselves before you in our, in our attitude, in our, in our spirit, but also in our deeds, our words, the things we do. We ask, Father, that you may continue to lead and guide us, that we may have wisdom, and that your spirit may continue to guide us. Again, we ask that we may be a light at this time and this point in history in our, in our generation. We do pray for our nation. We pray for our churches, that we may be not just a hope for our nation, but a hope for the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.